know, as we experience climate change, we need to get kids interested in thinking about environment, conserving, being stewards of the environment, and maybe even potentially thinking about corresponding education and career paths. Purpose Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. A very warm welcome to the People Inspired by Purpose podcast with Kathleen Owsley. Kathleen is the founding president of the Bosch Community Foundation. They recently celebrated 10 years of giving, particularly focused on education. She is based in Boston, a special episode for me as I have experience of running a corporate foundation and I know about the complexities. I also know about the power it has to do incredible good. Kat is an interesting character who spent time studying in Northern Ireland. We go into a full career story and about starting the foundation. Enjoy this episode. Don't forget to share with friends, family and colleagues and hit subscribe if you're on Apple. Enjoy. Kathleen Owsley, welcome to Purposely Podcast. Thank you, Mark. It's nice to be here. You're the president of the Bosch Community Fund. What's its purpose? What's its mission? So the Bosch Community Fund um, is the charitable giving arm for Bosch in North America. And our purpose is to um, invest in communities where we live and work. And we primarily do that through community advisory committees in 39 communities across Canada, the United States, and Costa Rica. And our theme areas are STEM education. So here in the States, that's science, technology, engineering, and math, and then the environment and environmental education. So really just trying to inspire people, particularly young people and teachers around these theme topics. And um, yeah, so that's 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 what we do on behalf of the company and on behalf of our communities. So you've been going a decade, which is wonderful, and donated over $37 million in that time? Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, we keep on... Um, keep on making grants uh, every quarter, three three to four times a year. But yeah, at this point, we're 10 years in. And like I said, 39 communities and clocking at about $37 million across uh, across those um, those Bosch communities currently. So very exciting stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah and, and just we just keep on uh, plugging away here. And in terms of geography mm-hmm. and, and parts of the world, so in the United States, in Canada, but also in Costa Rica, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So Costa Rica is a little bit newer. Canada is a little bit newer to Bosch Community Fund, not necessarily to Bosch. We started out, you know, kind of scaling up as we added on to our team over time over the past 10 years. But, you know, starting in Michigan and South Carolina and some of the states where we have the, you know, the highest number of Bosch associates, and then just kind of continuing to scale up over these past 10 years. So yeah, now we are um, very happy to be in, in Canada and Costa Rica as well. Mm. And so you're you're sitting in Detroit, Michigan. You're close to the um, Bosch headquarters, aren't you? Just give us a feel for what the your team looks like. Um, a bit about how you operate as a as a team. Like, are you a small team, a big team? Yeah. So we're we're a small but mighty team in a in a pretty large company. So we have about four hundred thousand associates worldwide, and you know probably anywhere from around twenty thousand, give or take, um, in the region. Um, but we just have a small team, um, ourselves for the foundation. There's three of us. So we all kind of wear the hat of, um, acting as a program officer. So like that traditional role of grant making that you would find in any foundation. And then we each have another job basically. So mine is, um, you know, acting as president, overseeing the foundation and the board relations and a lot of the, um, communications and, 
speaking on behalf of the foundation. And then one of us does a lot with the marketing and communication side. And then our third associate, she's really kind of like the data guru and the grants management person. So we all kind of just, you know, roll up our sleeves and pitch in, but we're a very lean, lean team, but we get it done. Great. And you're an independent charity with a, a board representing the charity and I, I imagine also the company. Is that right? How does, how does the sort of governance structure set up? Yeah. So that's the kind of the really, I think one of the neatest things about what, um, what we do at Bosch. So if, if you aren't familiar or some of your listeners aren't familiar, Bosch is held by a charitable foundation in Germany called the Robert Bosch Stiftung. And so, um, the majority of the shares of the company are held by this charitable organization. And so our roots, our DNA are really in, you know, in philanthropy. So in the United States, um, we're younger, obviously only 10 years old, even though the company's been, you know, established in the United States over a hundred years, but we do operate very autonomously, which is a wonderful thing for a corporate foundation because we have the ability to act, you know, in concert with the company, but also independently. So I'm not, you know, I'm not a part of marketing or communications, human resources, government affairs. We really are operating independently on behalf of our communities and on behalf of our associates. But we do collaborate when, you know, when it makes sense with our corporate colleagues. And so we do have a sister initiative inside the company, which is corporate social responsibility. And they oversee charitable, like some charitable giving from the standpoint of say like sponsorships and other types of corporate giving. And then they also oversee the volunteerism, whereas we are full-on philanthropy. We're a separate legal entity with a board of trustees made up of Bosch executives. And then we can kind of work in concert where it makes sense. And then in other places, we might be very, you know, independent from one another. So it's kind of, it's kind of a wonderful thing just that we have both of those pieces and are able to, you know, come together when it makes sense. And a lot of times when it comes together in the best way, it's when we can make a grant and then there might be corresponding volunteerism on behalf of associates. Yeah. And I always think corporate foundations are really interesting uh, entities because there's that t- sometimes there's that tension between the sort of corporate will, corporate desire to, you know, deliver on their sort of, you know, economic or their sort of entrepreneurial or um, commercial means. But these, but you have a different, you know, hope, which is around making a difference to people's lives or the environment. Does that, come up as a tension with you you and the board and the corporate ever? No. And I think that's what makes, you know, I can, again, I can't speak for having been at a different corporate foundation because I came from a private foundation, but just my understanding from having conversations and from being a grant seeker in my previous life, it is pretty rare and very special because we don't, being as young as we are, I think we also aren't hampered by maybe traditions or you know, maybe strategies that have, you know, just kind of continued on that might have been attached to an individual or a person or a time before, you know, this has really been an opportunity not only to start a foundation in a fresh way, and all the operations and everything that comes with that, but also not be hampered by some of those, you know, maybe things that happened in the past or are connected to an individual that's not even with the company any longer. And so I think, that's a really rare thing and a wonderful thing. And then obviously, again, to just be 
sort of given this autonomy, but yet be connected. Like I feel very supported by our board and by our president and, and appreciated, but also we have this breadth, you know, this, this ability to kind of go do the work that we need to do on behalf of Boston communities without kind of being hampered by, you know, an individual's agenda or even the corporate agenda for that matter. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's extremely rare. And I think that speaks to why I've been with Bosch for 10 years. Yeah. And I think, you know, with those giving themes, with those um, causes that you try and make a difference to, with the way you've set up, clearly set up the Charitable Foundation, it kind of gives you the freedom and it enables you sometimes really crucial moments to say, look, thanks for your approach. Um, you know, you might say, we, we know you do good things for Bosch commercially, but actually it doesn't fit with our, our, our mission, our focus. Though, was that, something you agree with, like the way you've set it up? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously with any foundation, I think some of the hardest things you have to say are no. And so there are times when, you know, there's either, it's just not a fit because it's not, you know, it doesn't fit into the focus areas or it might be something that's more, you know, better suited for the corporate side or better suited for even the local office side for that matter. I mean, I've had that conversation just this week where it really does make more sense for the actual, individual office if they're interested in a particular initiative to do that on their own. But the nice thing is, and I think sort of the the other side of the coin, is that when, um, you know, when there might be something that's very specific to a community that doesn't fit for the foundation side, we're still there with the money that we have allocated to that particular site community. And then if they have dollars that they've allocated, you know, within their own local budget to do things within the community, they can go do that, right? That's not commandeered by me. Whereas I'm not commandeered by them. Yeah. So that was kind of one of the interesting things, Mark, coming into this early. Like, I think there was some suspicion, like, here's this new foundation. Here's this woman coming in. She's going to tell us maybe even how to do what we do here locally. And I said, absolutely not. I mean, this will be above and beyond. And granted, we do have a charter to do certain focus areas and we have certain strategic, you know, design here, but we're meant to be above and above, beyond in addition to what you are already doing. So that's kind of the nice thing, you know, like if there's, If there's money allocated out of a, out of a local plant site, say, for example, to do particular initiatives in a year, they're still very welcome to do that. Um, what we do through the foundation is meant to be on top of that. And what's your, you know, what would be the way of describing your giving? Is is it trusted philanthropy? Are you really heavy on impact uh, measurement? Like when you make a grant, they have to come back and have hit those, those measures that you put in place. What's the, what's your sort of approach? So first off, I'd say we really do care very, very much about community input. Our, our motto that we stole from the grant makers for effective organizations here in the United States is do nothing about me without me. So we don't want to be coming into a community and saying, here's what we're going to do for you. Aren't, you know, aren't you so fantastically happy about it? Rather, we want to come in and have a conversation first and foremost with stakeholders that have have knowledge about the the areas that we are interested in. So STEM education, science, technology, engineering, math, environmental, teaching. Um, we, we want to hear from the community about where's the pain points, what's working, what hasn't worked. If you, you know, if you had additional monies, what would that look like if you could try, you know, some innovation in one of these areas? So that's, that's kind of the, the big piece for us. Yeah. And then as it relates to the impact, um, you know, I love this question because I think this is ever evolving for all foundations and all nonprofits. But one thing that we feel pretty strongly about and we're evolving in this ourselves is that um, we need to right size 
ourselves um, in terms of our, you know, we're a fairly small foundation for a big company. So it makes sense for us to kind of be working very locally and even be working potentially with organizations that, you know, the, the amount of money that we can give can have an impact. I mean, we're not going to be making million dollar grants to one organization. That's not our scale. So that's one thing is making sure that we're looking at like local impact and, you know, right size organizations for our size. And then, uh, and then I'd say, you know, as it relates to the evaluation, same thing. So having come from a larger foundation where evaluation, there's lots of lots of time and money put into it. We don't want to ask grant recipients to be doing something that we're not going to use. We still want to be able to measure it and make sure that it's worthwhile and that we can share that with our executive management team and our board. But we also don't want to be putting people through the paces and, you know, making them go through, you know, kind of the ringer trying to evaluate the impact of the work that they're doing. So this is this constant tension point and it's exciting because we're learning all the time about new ways that we can do that and refining it and kind of like lifting the hood on the automobile and kind of tweaking the engine. We do do KPIs. We have worked with um, Johnson Center for Philanthropy out of Grand Valley State University here in Michigan. And we're going back for kind of a version two of our, of our key performance indicators. But we're also trying to be really cognizant of the fact that there has to be, it has to be meaningful. Temp for Bosch previously, but you arrive in the office hired to be their head of their charitable foundation or actually it was a temporary gig and they wanted you just to sort of do the the development work or the sort of lay the groundwork how did it start to begin with it started out at a dinner party actually for somebody that was um, new as a head of marketing for one of our larger nonprofits in detroit and i went to this party and this particular gentleman couldn't come to his own party because he was ill so that's the irony of the whole thing but um at this party was the recruiter for the Bosch job and she saw me and we knew each other from the community. And she's like, Kat, you should really think about this boss job. I said, you know, I saw that. And the irony is I worked there, you know, some 10, 15 years ago, very for a short time as a, you know, as, as a temporary assistant. I know the company, it's great, but you know, corporate foundation work really isn't for me. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not a marketing person, blah, blah, blah. And my husband was there and he's like, you know, you should just have coffee with her. Like, why wouldn't you like, you know, just go find out about it. And I think one thing led to another and I ended up speaking with the hiring manager at the time and he was like, listen, this is a really unique opportunity because it would be starting and building something from scratch, but also you're doing it inside, you know, the stable confines of an international company. Like who gets to do that? Yeah. And I do like to build stuff. I'm a builder by nature. So that's really kind of what for me kind of clinched the deal. Mm. When I came in, the foundation had already been established as a legal entity and the focus areas had been determined, but then everything else had to be done. So yeah, I didn't have to, you know, file the paperwork or, or determine the focus areas. But from there on, I had to do everything from, you know, determining the strategies and hiring staff and determining how we would, you know, all of our processes, all of our strategic direction. So I really did get to do to do most of it. I'm just imagining, are you sitting on your own at this point? Like you're in a, you're at a desk and everyone's like, who's she? (laughs) What's she here for? Like, what what was it? And and how how did you, you clearly there was buy-in from the leadership, right? So the, you know, the the legal entity had been formed and there'd been a decision to, to kind of, you know, double down on this. Actually, 
before I say that, it's interesting how you initially rejected it based on the assumption that it was around marketing. But, you know, I guess one of the decisions for taking it was the fact that you realized it, it was altruistic. It, yeah. it wasn't, you know, about really about marketing. And that would be a part of it, of course, but um, brand association, but, but making a difference. Tell us about those sort of early weeks and then how you, you know, because a lot around how you structure in those early months, like we talked about right at the beginning of the episode, around really helps when you're making decisions, saying no to people, saying yes to people. Tell us about those early weeks. I wonder now, you know, looking back on it, people probably were pretty dubious about me. I mean, they didn't know who I was. I was hired into one department. I was actually hired into government affairs initially. I was in an independent department then. I was in a windowless office. I was on my own. The gentleman that I worked for at the time had some knowledge of, of corporate foundation work from his previous position, but didn't, he had never run one. So he was sort of like, here you go, you run with us, like you're the person. So there wasn't a lot of feedback internally that I could get. Having said that, my career to that point had been in nonprofit and philanthropy. And so I used a lot of my external sources to sort of just go out and have sort of these conversations almost as listening to her and really trying to connect with people, particularly who were experts in the areas of our focus areas. So talking to people who knew a lot about education, talking to people who knew a lot about STEM education, who knew about the environment, having conversations with people who really understood nonprofit organizational development and, and philanthropy. And then I just kept sort of putting big pieces of paper on the wall and, and literally drawing out the strategy. That works for me. I'm a really visual person and I kind of have to see it, you know, and then it get lonely in there and then you go kind of back out again and talk to people. And, and then, you know, little by little, I think this was April of 2012. Um, by January of 2013, I made my first hire, Eve Haley, who's still on the team today. And then it was great, right? Because now you have somebody to bounce ideas off of on a daily basis and you are this is your day job, right? So you're thinking about it all day, you're doing it all day. And then slowly but surely, as you start to add on the different key contacts from each of the sites and getting their feedback and input, things start to roll along, right? So yeah, I mean, I think I would say probably those first few, those first 90 days were very lonely and weird. And you really want to do well and you want to kind of get things going fast. But at the same time, I also didn't want to rush myself into making grants that I would later regret. Yeah. So you know, I've said it before, like you're sort of trying to make all these balls in play at the same time. So thinking about what, what would the database look like, thinking about what the strategic direction looks like, thinking about, you know, just how the processes are going to take place and trying to push all those kind of pieces forward simultaneously, because there's nobody else who's going to do it for you. you. You're the only one who's getting paid to do it. Yeah. So, and I think you can be quite isolated. You, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And if you're, I mean, I, did you draw on external examples? Like, did you look at other corporate foundations, maybe for reasons that you wouldn't do something, but also for reasons why you would do something? Do you remember that being part of your view? Yeah, I had actually worked for Etzel Ford of the Ford family. And so I had connections to Ford Motor Company fund and um, automatically by just virtue of having having worked for, for him. So they were a great help to me and let me kind of just, you know, ask away, you know, rapid fire questions and just finding out about everything from, you know, grants management databases to processes and, and, and whatnot. Also took a lot of what I learned from the Kresge Foundation, which was the private foundation I came from, as it related to everything from grant agreements and 
you know, letters of intent to, you know, do we, oh, do we act as invitation only or do we accept, you know, solicitations freely? So both the private, I think, and the corporate side were really helpful to me. And then all the, you know, even just the, um, the previous foundations that had funded me when I worked for Otzel Ford on the nonprofit side, everything I learned from being a grant recipient was really helpful. And I, I kept all my papers too. So I could kind of just put, draw on ex- literal examples that I had mm. in, in my files. And then I'd also just, I belonged to an association that was for philanthropy. And so they were always very, very helpful for me as it related to everything from legal to financial to governance. So that, that, that was great too. And then having had a board in my past too, I knew what it meant to, you know, report to a board, to prepare for board meetings, et cetera, et cetera. So Mm. it was a lot of little different things that I was drawing on, but I guess the other thing, you know, I would say to anybody is, you know, you just have to be willing to put your ego aside and, and ask questions and not be afraid to look stupid because you're learning as you go. Yeah. And at some point everybody's been in that position, right? And then you'll pass it on to somebody else someday yourself. So yeah. people were really great about about giving me input. And the stakes are high, I think, with corporate foundations, because you know, you carry the the the, cor- the corporate name, the Bosch name. So, you know, different to private philanthropy or private foundations. So, you know, due diligence you do, the organizations you, you support, the individuals you believe in in a sense, really, really makes a difference and matters, doesn't it? And then coupled with the fact that you've, you've come in, the company's certainly not a new company, you know, it's been around for a long time and you've got to take p- multiple of people with you uh, on the journey, mm-hmm. um, and believe in who you, who you're supporting. So it's, it's complex, right? It is, but it's also, I have to just say, I, I, I feel like Bosch has made it very seamless for us, right? I feel like, there's a lot of pride, you know, I think we all feel really strongly about, about, about Robert Bosch and what his legacy is about the ethos of the company. And I just, I, you know, I always say this, like, I think I have the best job in the company, but I also work for people that I really like and respect and they just make it a, a pleasure. I still marvel at the fact that for t- these past 10 years, like people appreciate what we're doing on behalf of the company. And, you know, there's not a lot of people that are either trying to say like, I don't think that's the right direction, or I don't care for how you're doing that. I just feel like there's a tremendous amount of support. I mean, if anything, certainly there's a lot of, you know, folks who will inquire because they're interested in finding out if there's a way to support something that's near and dear to their own hearts. But I still sort of marvel at the fact that for, you know, for the past 10 years, it's been a pretty, pretty smooth ride as it relates to doing this inside the Bosch. And then the, the community partners that we have, I think, I think that that people appreciate that you take the time, that you're transparent, that you're accessible. I try to be very honest about, you know, what the budget looks like, how much money's available. I try to listen just as much. I think that, you know, at the end of the day, I believe that's probably just as important as the grants that we give in the community is the fact that we're annually coming together, we're having these conversations, we are available, we're transparent. I don't I know myself that, you know, it's not, you don't appreciate it when you're really just trying to get important work done and you just want to be answered and you just kind of want to know, you know, just to, for somebody to be really honest and transparent about something and to be accessible. And so I think that's just almost as important to be honest as the money itself. And we've talked about that with the board. You know, I said, as we start to add on more and more sites, but we are still a small team, we could go fully automated and not have these, you know, kind of have these relationships that we have in the communities, 
or we can kind of hold tight until we, you know, can scale up more, but continue to provide this very personal level of communication and interaction and engagement in the community. And unanimously, the board said, you know, the latter, that, that that's really the important part. And it's kind of the special sauce, I think, of the Bosch Community Fund. Mm. And I'm a, I'm a fun, imagine I'm a fundraiser or I'm a, a founder of a small charity. I, I match your themes. How do I approach you? Like, what does what does a good approach look like? Not in practical terms, but just in terms of like general way of approaching a call for a foundation. Is, is there a pretty bad way of doing it? You know, it's hard. It's really hard. I mean, I guess the one thing that I would say is I think it's it's well, like sort of saying, well, I was just on a panel a couple of weeks ago for a STEM ecosystems conference that was taking place in Michigan, and I had people lined up to talk to me when I got off the panel. Um, because I was the only funder on the panel, right? And so uh, I did try it. I took time to talk to everybody that wanted to speak to me. And when it did make sense, I said, I'd be happy to have a you know, follow-up conversation with you. And where it didn't make sense, I said, it doesn't make sense, you know, and here's why. But here's what you might think about. So I at least, if it's not going to be somebody that's going to be eligible for us, I at least want to try. And I know my colleagues do the same thing to give them something else to consider as a different route. Because I don't want to just shut somebody down and, make, and just say, no, that's not something we can find. Yeah. It is tough, though, you know, because there are so many eligible organizations in these areas because they're pretty broad and we're pretty small as far as the money we give out. But we're also broad across the geography. So, you know, every day we're trying to be as efficient as possible with the money that we have, you know, um, stewardship over. And so there's a lot of times that we can't, you know, we can't do what we want to be able to do. But, yeah, I guess I would say come up to somebody on a panel or don't be feel afraid to kind of reach out or or if you know that somebody has a connection to somebody that you're interested in using that connection that, that happens a lot you went to college and you went to a wonderful name college called Kalamazoo tell us about what you studied <laughs> there and, and then what that set set you up to do that's a great name <laughs> yeah um, uh, Kalamazoo College is a small liberal arts college in Michigan, and I picked it because they had something at the time, which it has also evolved, but it's called the K-Plan, and it gave you the opportunity to do an internship and have work experience to go abroad, and then it kind of felt a lot and acted like what a lot of people experience in their master's or second degree program where you had, I had both comprehensive examinations, and I also had to do a senior project that resulted in a thesis. So, you know, it was great for me. It was a lot of work and, and very exciting. And so as my internship, I worked for the American Medical Association. So it was my first experience in a nonprofit organization. And that introduced me to, to survey research and data analysis, which I absolutely love. And then as my foreign study, I was in Aix-en-Provence, France. And then for my senior project, I got the opportunity to work at the French government tourist office in New York City where I actually ended up working on a survey for Ski Magazine for the French Alps Commission. So ironically, I don't ski, but I was able to do that right. project. And then my, my thesis, I was an econ major. My thesis is on the, uh, excuse me, the economic impact of hosting the Winter Olympics with the Albertville, France Olympics as my case study. So it was pretty a pretty rigorous program, but I took advantage of everything they offered by way of you know, the foreign study opportunity and internships and that and whatnot. And so when you graduate from Kalamazoo, you have not only a resume, but you've got some pretty great experience. And so that was my undergraduate experience. And it was, it was really wonderful. 
what was it like growing up in terms of your family's approach uh, or beliefs around purpose and giving and, and making a difference? And was it context that you got from your childhood? That's a really interesting question. No one's ever asked me that. <laughs> well, I, I have a lot of Irish. And so I think I, maybe that's one of our attributes is that we, you know, you always want to feed people and give to people and you're generous, right? And I think that's how my parents definitely were. I think my sister was ill when I was 15. She was diagnosed with a brain tumor and it was not a good diagnosis, which is part of the reason that I stayed in Michigan for college. My parents asked me to stay close. And subsequently, she ended up living far beyond her expectations, but she did end up passing away at 41 from a, from a brain tumor. And so I think I felt a lot of I guess I always sort of felt like I was living my life for both of us, right? Because she really got, you know, gypped out of an opportunity to experience, you know, her, her life as a, as an adult, first of all, but definitely as a fully abled adult. So I think that probably really impacted me, maybe even more than I realized. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. I just, I think it just, you know, once I kind of got into that nonprofit space, it just really suited me. I tried to get out of it by going to graduate school and doing something completely different, but it just really kind of pulled me back in. And I, I know that's the, that's the space that I'm supposed to be in. Yeah. And making your life and making what you do for a living count, you know, your sister didn't live as full of life as she would want to have done and the family did. What has been the impact on on your family from your sister going through that and then passing? I think you really live in the moment. You know, you, I don't want to have my kids leave for college and think like I missed out on these opportunities with them. Like I really do try to stay in the moment when I'm working, when I'm with my colleagues and I love them and I enjoy them and I just really, you know, relish it. And then when I'm home, I, I try to do the same because I don't want to think like, Oh, I really didn't take advantage of that. You know, I feel like I've really tried to get as much out of my life as possible in all different aspects in, in pushing myself. I think I would say the same. I think I probably take after my father that way. So I think that's probably how it mostly affected me. I remember somebody saying, maybe somebody said this to you too, but I remember somebody saying when I was getting married, like, be sure at your reception to stop and look around and like stop for a moment and take it all in. And I did that. I remember very specifically doing that, but I also do that now, you know, I'll stop and sort of like take it all in and appreciate it because it you know everything is so fleeting you just don't know so you have to sort of embrace each day as it comes you know what i mean yeah absolutely and so you found yourself you talk about your irish heritage but you found yourself doing a, an, a master's in irish studies and you actually spent some time in, in belfast northern ireland um like a lot you know america's a big place there's a lot of people in america a lot of americans don't get the necessarily get the opportunity especially young in life to to land in a different culture on on the other side of the world but yeah a good time of your life how did that kind of shape your thinking i you know i was working for the american medical association actually and i just started reading a lot and then i i thought you know here goes that like carpe diem again <laughs> i cashed in my 401k and went backpacking in ireland by myself and probably one of the most important and incredible things I ever did for myself. And I fell in love with the country and came back and ended up going to the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor for a year studying Irish history and just fell in love with it. And my professor had gone to Queens University, Belfast in the 50s. I had kind of had my heart set on Galway and two things. One, he was like, I really think you should look at this program at Queens. But two, 
I think at the time you had to have Gaelic as a prerequisite for the college in Galway, which I didn't have. So Belfast offered me a scholarship and the rest was history. And I went over there really with the intention I thought of either, because I was an econ major as an undergraduate. So I really wanted to kind of beef up my reading comprehension and my writing with the intention of either thinking I was going to be a professor of history or a lawyer. I just, you know, it was a fantastic experience. I loved living there. I enjoyed studying. I did my, um, I started my thesis in Belfast. I went down to Dublin. I went to New York, back to the United States, spent some time in New York studying, getting my research together. And then I wrote it back, actually back on campus at University of Michigan. So kind of like full circle. And then I turned it in. Uh, I put it in a FedEx box and I shipped it back to Belfast. And while I was waiting to graduate, I needed to work to make money to go fly back to Belfast to graduate. And I ended up temping as a secretary at Bosch. So that was 1998. Worked there for three months, enjoyed it, met so many incredible people. But I was like, you know, this is just a kind of a, a passing through because I'm just trying to make some money as a, as a temporary assistant. And, um, and so it's really sort of funny how I ended up at Bosch then, how many years later, um, 15. But I, you know, I came back from Belfast and went out to California. And it was, I maybe, I think I did one lecture at the new college. I was invited to do a lecture there on what I had studied and what that was wonderful. But I realized that's not going to pay the bills. So I got sucked back into the nonprofit sector almost immediately working for the American Academy of Ophthalmology. And San Francisco was really beautiful, but very, very expensive. And so I had some friends that were really lobbying to get me to come back to Detroit. And I did. Yeah. And then that's when I started to, you know, kind of started on this particular path that I've been on since then, which has been nonprofit. A lot of it focused on city of Detroit and then Michigan. And now with the Bosch role, both those things, but also, you know, from a, from an American and a, a North American perspective as well. Look to the future. What do you think your role will be? And um, I'm kind of assuming this is not really like work, right? So you get to Sunday night and you don't think oh, I've got work on Monday. Like it's, it feels <laughs> from what you've said that it's, it's a bit of your life's work. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. I love that. In fact, you know, now post COVID, we go into the office, not five days a week, but maybe more like two days. And we always say when we're together, that was a good day because you come home and there was a separation of space, right? From work and home, but also it was, it's always very energizing and rejuvenating to kind of be back in our Bosch space and be with each other in person. So yeah, I, I, I used to have that, what we call the Sunday scaries, but I, I don't have that now. <laughs> That's probably partly Bosch, but also partly age too. You know, like you get to that point where you think, I, I think I got a handle on this, you know, but it took me a long time to get there. But yeah, I, I think that's, that's probably, you know, a, a good sign. It is the life's work. I don't, I don't know what the future holds. I feel like with Bosch Community Fund, we want to continue to be, I, 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 I report to the president of North America and, and I'll say to him, you know, um, we just want total world dominance and he'll laugh at me because I'm half joking. But of course we want to be the best <laughs> in show. We do want to be one of the finest corporate foundations out there. And, and for us, that means, you know, genuine engagement with community, you know, un underneath our focus areas, we look at teacher supports and efficacy. We know teachers are really struggling right now, kind of post COVID education is such a tough business to be in. So how can we be best poised to be helpful when we're not on the front line like they are? 
So that's something that keeps kind of us up at night, um, diversity, equity, inclusion. And for us, we also include access. So thinking about, hmm, is there a way that we can be thinking about this, taking us to the next level as it relates to diversity, diversity, equity, inclusion, and access for people that might not have otherwise some of the opportunities that people maybe even in our immediate site communities have. So looking at new and innovative ways to maybe deliver some of the programs that we support to underserved audiences. I think the environmental piece is becoming increasingly important. And one of our trustees has really pushed on us for that. And I'm, I'm happy for that because, you know, certainly that's a part of Bosch's ethos, but also, you know, as we experience climate change, we need to get kids interested in thinking about environment, conserving, being stewards of the environment, and maybe even potentially thinking about corresponding education and career paths for, you know, that, that relate to the environment. So I think that's kind of a big place for us right now. And that's exciting because that's kind of, you know, that's, a, that's a, for us kind of a Bosch Community Fund 2.0. And any sort of overview of social impact and, and, and that sort of um, investing? So maybe a different way of deploying your dollars? I don't know. Um, possibly. Um, we haven't gone down that path yet and haven't had that conversation. Obviously, having come from a larger foundation, that was a big piece of their work, but I, um, I think, I think it remains to be seen how we might do some things that could be a little bit more innovative than kind of what we've been doing in the past 10 years. I think, I think that's a, a great point that at some point do we have conversations about what does it look like as it relates to many of these ways that we can kind of, kind of divert off of this traditional path. So uh, we'll see. See about the future. Well, um, Catherine Alsey, a real pleasure to connect and thank you for joining Purposely. Thank you so much, Mark. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing because I sure do.